morning, I want to talk about the Spirit-filled life. We believe in, in the Spirit-filled life. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. Chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is talking to the disciples. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is talking to the disciples. It's after he is resurrected, he has spent weeks and weeks with them, teaching them, and now he's about to ascend back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he, that is Jesus, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, I ask in the next few moments, you will speak to us. Speak to us. We want to hear from you. Let your Holy Spirit begin to saturate this place, God. Fill this room. Fill each of our hearts. Speak to us this morning. Fill me. Fill everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Courtney and I have three boys, 19, 16, and 8. Because I have two teenage boys in the house, I spend a fair amount of my time at the AT&T store replacing cell phones. A large portion of my time is spent at the AT&T store. About a month ago, I went in to help Owen with his phone, and then yesterday I went in to help Mark with his phone. But when I say disintegrated, I mean disintegrated. I'm pretty sure he ran over it. He claims someone else did. Regardless, the phone is destroyed. So I spent some quality time at the AT&T store yesterday, and the lady that helped me a month ago when I was there with Owen, I just happened, coincidentally, to get her again yesterday. She was working on a Saturday. She was the next lady there when I walked in. She helped me. She remembered me, and she said, you're the pastor, right? Because we spoke for a while the last time I was there. I said, yes, a pastor up at Restoration Church. She said, that's great. Every time I'm in there, she asked me what I'm speaking on. So she said, what are you talking about tomorrow? I said, I'm talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, wow, what does that mean, filled with the Holy Spirit? This is the same conversation I had with her a month ago. One of these days, my kids keep breaking phones. I'm going to get this gal at the AT&T store saved. One of these days, so keep breaking them, boys. So, uh, so, <laughs> so she asked me, what does that mean? So I began to talk to her about how, how being filled with the Holy Spirit does this and that. But I think that for many of us in this room today, when I say I want to speak on being filled with the Holy Spirit, being speak on the Spirit-filled life, many of us, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that, what's he going to go, to, where, what direction is he going to go into? For those of us, I include myself, even though I, I, it was a very different experience, but for those of us in traditional denominations that grew up in a traditional denomination, I did, I grew up in the Methodist church, or you grew up in the Baptist church, or a more traditional denomination, you may say, oh, is this going to get weird? 
Well, you know, Holy Spirit, that's weird, right? Everybody grew up in the Pentecostal denominations. They're like, yeah, now we get to some real preaching, right? We're going to get them, get them, Pastor Travis, show all these traditional guys what's, you know? So everybody has this visceral response to it based on our past and how we grew up and what we believe. But what do we believe? As a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, that's in our constitution, it's in what we believe, it's on our website, a non-denominational, spirit-filled church. What does that look like? What does that sound like? More specifically, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for your life? And I think it is this. We're going to talk about it very quickly. The first is this. The spirit-filled life is powerful. The spirit-filled life is powerful. You don't have to turn back there. Look again at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus says to them, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power. The spirit-filled life is power. It is powerful. Now, this is where often in our theology of the Holy Spirit, we get off track. So I want to paint a, a metaphor or a word picture for you on a couple of these. So imagine that I invite you to my house this evening to come over and watch the Super Bowl. Imagine that I invite you over to the house. You come to the house, it's still light outside, the Super Bowl starts early, still daylight outside. You come in the house, I say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the house. Come on in, come on in. He said, man, I'm so glad to be here. I appreciate you inviting me for the Super Bowl. I said, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad. Uh, Put your coat down, and I want to show you something. He said, okay, great. What do you want to show me, pastor? I said, come in this room. Look at this light switch. This light switch, Courtney found it's an antique light switch from Italy. It was handcrafted 100 years ago when we first came doing electricity. They handcrafted this in Italy. It's a 100-year-old light switch. Isn't that amazing? Terracotta, pan-painted. What do you think about that? You say, well, that's, that's a light switch. I, don't, I like it. I, I like it, Pastor. I said, well, I'm glad you liked it. Let's go in this other room. I want to show you Liam's room. Little guy, we, look at this. Come in Liam's room. He loves SpongeBob SquarePants, and we had a handmade SpongeBob SquarePants light switch made. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, I guess it's amazing. It's, uh, you know, cartoon character there for your light switch. That's great, Pastor. And I imagine I take you from room to room and show you each of the light switches. Isn't this amazing? Look at what this light switch is from this country, and this is from that one, and my kids made this one, and we sit down on the couch. And you say, Pastor, it's, it's, uh, it's getting kind of dark in here. I'm not really able to see. Can we turn some lights on? I say, man, we're not, we're not going to turn any lights on. We're just going to sit here and admire these light switches. The electricity isn't the point. The light switches are the point. You say, yeah, but I, I can't see to, to uh, get off the couch and use the bathroom. I say, well, you're not turning any lights on in this house. We're not, we're not about electricity. We're about light switches. The point of this is the light switches. Now this is where we mess up on the Holy Spirit more than any other thing. Listen to me. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
It does not say you shall receive tongues or healing or miracles or prophecy or anything else. I am not saying that the gifts of the Spirit are not real and applicable and that we shouldn't pray for them. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But listen to me. It's about electricity, not light switches. It's about power and not gifts. You shall receive power. What happens is we put more emphasis on the light switches than we do on the power. And we miss the point entirely. The way that we change our world is when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. It's not about having decorative light switches in your house. It's about the electricity that turns everything on in your house and makes it all work. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look, if you will, at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, they have have gone to Samaria, the apostles. Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. The apostles have gone to Samaria, and there's been a great, great uh, miracle, uh, salvation. Everybody's getting saved. It's a revival. That's the word I'm looking for, revival in Samaria. Acts chapter 8 and verse 9. So they're all healed, they're saved. Uh, Philip goes and preaches Jesus. It's a wonderful, miraculous miracle, healing, revival, salvation, all this stuff. Look at Acts 8 and 9. But there was a certain man called Simon who had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Skip down to verse 17. Same chapter. So the apostles come from Jerusalem. They have been saved, but the hands on the Holy Spirit. So look what happens in verse 17. Then they, that is the apostles, then they laid hands on the people from Samaria and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon the magician saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Simon Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Simon did not, but power. He wanted the gifts Put your hands on me so that I can receive the power. But he didn't want the power for a changed life. He didn't want the power to do ministry. He didn't want the power to be a fully matured, discipled follower of Christ. He wanted the power so that he could lay his hands on others, so that he could manifest the gift. He didn't want power for electricity in the house. He wanted power so that every, all the switch plates looked nice. So many of us do that too. Now listen to me. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We're a a non-denominational, Spirit-filled church. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gift of healing. I hope, you better hope, that I believe in healing. Otherwise, why am I coming to visit you in the hospital? I'm thinking you probably want a preacher that believes in getting healed. You know what I'm saying? So you got preachers say, well, I don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, then, dude, why do you go visit people in the hospital? One of the gifts of the Spirit is healing. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. 
I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit. But the point, Jesus did not say you shall receive the gifts when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said you shall receive power. So many of us live empty, defeated, powerless lives. We get saved. We talked about this last week. We get saved and then we don't know what else is next. What are we supposed to do? And we just twiddle our thumbs and hang around waiting to die so we can go to heaven. Jesus says you shall receive power. You want that. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in that. It's wonderful. It's great. Jesus, God gives the gifts to those he bestows them on. Different gifts for different people to edify the body of Christ. I don't want to get into a long dissertation on the gifts of the Spirit other than to say we believe in them. They're unique to each Christian. You should pray for them. But the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not the gifts. It is the power of God in you. That is what you want. That's what you want. You don't want fancy light plates, switch plates. You want the electricity that lights up the whole house. Jesus said to them, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Spirit-filled life is is a life of power. It is a powerful life. The next is this. Again, let me paint you a picture. Imagine that I, tomorrow morning, go to Corey Finn's house and give a brand new 2007 fully loaded Range Rover. Can I get an amen, Corey? That's a, Corey says, that's a, that's a prophecy. <laughs> that's a, that's, he's like, that's a gift. That's a gift. That's a word of wisdom right there. All right, so I show up at Corey Finn's house tomorrow, and I pull up in his driveway with a fully loaded 2017 Range Rover, brand new, never been driven except from the lot to his house, and it's got everything. It's got Bluetooth and GPS and DVD players and heated seats and everything in the world you could possibly want in a car. And Corey says, what what is this? Corey says, did you just buy this car? I say, no, Corey, this is for you. This car is for you. (laughs) No, I give him the keys, and I say, the car is yours, buddy. It's yours. Fully loaded, 2017 Range Rover. I give it to him on a Monday. On Friday, I, I say, Corey, let's meet for lunch. I want to talk to you, see how you're doing. I want to see that beautiful car I gave you. Let's meet for lunch. So we meet for lunch. I get there last. Corey's already in the parking lot. He's standing beside his new car. But he looks awful. His his elbows are all skinned up. He's got fresh stitches on his forehead. He's all bedraggled and dirty. He looks like he's lost weight. I say, Corey, what's, what's going on? He says, oh, I I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't don't want to talk about it. I said, Corey, what's wrong? What's happened? He said, well, Travis, I'm going to be honest with you. It's this car. This car is killing me. And I said, Corey, this car is killing you? This brand new 2017 Range Rover is killing you? He says, man, it's killing me. I said, well, let's go in and talk about it, man. Let's have lunch. We'll talk about it. And, and, uh, you know, I'll see if I can help you. He said, well, actually, I told you I could meet you for lunch, but I can't. He said, I got to go pick up Aiden from school. I said, you got to pick up Aiden from school? It's only noon. I said, when school get out? He says, well, school gets out at 3.15. I said, why you got to go pick him up for school? He says, what takes me about three hours to get there? I said, man, we're two minutes from his school. His school's right around the corner. 
He said, no, I, I, I'm telling you, I got to go. I, I can't talk about it anymore. So I watch him, and he gets in the car. He takes the emergency brake off. He puts that Range Rover into neutral, and then he closes the door and gets behind it, and he begins to push that Range Rover out of the parking lot. And he's pushing it, and he's doing pretty good, and he's picking up some speed. And then going out of the parking lot, there's a little bit of an incline. And he loses some momentum. Then he falls down. The Range Rover rolls back over him, back down into the parking lot. I get in, and I stop the car. I say, Corey, are you all right? He said, well, I'll be honest with you. It's not the first time that's happened. I say, Corey, what are you doing? He said, well, I don't know. You gave me this new car. I'm trying to do the best I can with this brand new car you gave me. And I say, Corey, give me the keys. And he hands them to me. And I say, now watch this, you idiot. <laughs> right? right? I say, watch this. And I get in the car, and I put the key in the ignition, and I crank that 2017 Range Rover and put it in gear, and I drive away. Because anybody as dumb as Corey doesn't deserve that car, obviously. <laughs> no, I'm but I'd put it in gear and I'd drive that car away. And Corey stands and looks from the parking lot, bleeding, car just run over him, and he says, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. That is how so many of us live our lives. The spirit-filled life is overcoming the spirit-filled life is overcoming. God did not create us to simply push this gift that he's given us through life. We're supposed to get in the Range Rover, and it takes us over the mountains, and it takes us through the desert, and it allows us to make our way through the jungles and over hills and through valleys and in difficult places. The spirit-filled life is a life of overcoming he gives it to us. What happens is we refuse to use it. Instead, we just decide we're going to do it on our own. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 16 and verse 33. John 16 and 33. Jesus is speaking. And he says this. John 16 and 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have, will have tribulations. Mountains, deserts, jungles, swamps. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have given you a four by four that will make it through any of the terrain of the world. But you can't push it. You got to drive it. But we don't want to drive it, do we? We want to still have control of our life. The only way that we overcome the world is by allowing God to guide us. But what happens? We say, this year I'm going to do better. This year I'm going to be a Christian if it kills me. This year I'm going to be a Christian if it kills me. And what's the problem? It'll kill you. It'll kill you because what you say is, I'm going to do better. I'm going to overcome this addiction. I'm going to get rid of this habit. I'm going to be nicer. You ever talk to anybody that's working on being nice? You're like, I don't think it's working for you, man. What's your, what's your goal in 2017? I'm going to be nice. Uh, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> you. You let me know how that works out. Right? 
Because why? All it does is frustrate us because we're just pushing the car instead of sitting in it and driving. I have overcome the world. I give it to you. I offer it to you. I've overcome the world for you. Jesus says, I've done it. I've won. I've overcome. All you have to do is accept the gift and then use it in the way that I want you to use it. But instead, we refuse to drive. We just want to push. We want to do it in our own power and our own strength. Those of you that don't follow baseball, there was, a number of years ago, a young man that I admired greatly. He was the number one draft pick coming out of high school. He was working his way up through the minor leagues. He got involved in a car accident. And out of that car accident, he got addicted to prescription painkillers. His name was Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton overcame the prescription pill addiction, made his way back to the major leagues, became an amazingly successful baseball player later in life than most people normally do because his career got sidelined. He, he won the MVP several years ago. And then Josh began to struggle with his sobriety. He, he had a relapse. He's relapsed several times publicly since he became famous and became an MVP. But the first time that he relapsed, he went and drank and did drugs and some other things like that. He gave a press conference after that first relapse. And Josh said this, my life in general is based on making the right choices and my relationship with the Lord. And I look at it like that. You all know how hard I play on the field and I give it everything I absolutely have. When I don't do that off the field, I leave myself open for a weak moment. I understand what he's saying. I do. And I, I, I wish him nothing but the best in his continued attempts at sobriety. But listen to me. You cannot play hard enough in the game of life to overcome the temptations that so easily own us. You cannot play hard enough to do this on your own. You cannot push that car through your entire life. You can try. But I'm going to tell you, I hate to, be a, I hate to bring bad news. You can try, but you will fail. You cannot push that car. You cannot play at 100% all the time and beat and ward off all the demons in your life. All the habits and all the addictions and all the past and all the pain and all the unforgiveness and all the discouragement and all the depression and all the hurt and all the stuff that has accumulated for your entire life. You cannot push that car through life and have any levels of overcoming. Jesus has already done it for us. All we have to do is accept his gift. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. It says this. Romans 8 and 13. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he says this, Romans 8 and 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. No matter how good you want to be, no matter how hard you try, no matter giving it 100%, you live by the flesh, you will die. But, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Keep that verse up there for me because that is the spirit-filled life is overcoming. God, 
If you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a son or a daughter of God. You have overcome. He has given you the car. He gives you the power. He gives you the gifts. He has already overcome the world. He says all you have to do is access it. Believe in me. Now that's not to say that you just do whatever you want. You need to be aware of what your trigger points are, what your problems are, what your addiction or habits or past is. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you probably not ought to spend time in bars. But here's the deal. Ultimately, the overcoming not comes not from you playing at 100%. It comes from you allowing God to make you a son or a daughter of God. The overcoming doesn't come from you working hard enough. The overcoming comes from the Spirit of God in us. That's why don't push the car. Get in and crank it and drive it. That's what God wants for your life. The Spirit-filled life is overcoming. Now, the final thing is this. In a couple of hours, all of you with Falcon jerseys, boy, I locked myself in a basement by myself because I don't want anybody to see my demons when they win or lose. But those of you passionate enough about the Falcons to wear a jersey, you'll be sitting on a couch or sitting on someone else's couch or standing somewhere and watching the Super Bowl in just a few hours. And I assure you, having watched many, many Super Bowls that the Dallas Cowboys play in, Falcon fans don't have as much experience with this, so I'm going to help you. <laughs> having watched many, many Dallas Cowboys Super Bowls, let me reassure you, this is not going to be a pleasurable experience for you at all. It's not fun to watch your team play in the big game, unless they're ahead 35 to nothing at halftime, and I hope you are. But otherwise, it is an excruciating, horrible experience to watch a team that you love play in a big game and you have no ability to help them win other than standing in a certain position. Now, that's a true story. Two years ago, Cowboys were playing the Detroit Lions and we were losing. And then I went into the kitchen to get something to drink and I was watching the TV through the pass-through from the kitchen and we scored a touchdown. You know what I did for the rest of that game? I stood right there in the kitchen and watched the game through the pass-through. That's a true story. And you know what happened? We won that game. Why? Because I stood right there in the kitchen and watched it through the pass-through. Now, that is true. That is a true story. And I couldn't find my spot two, two three weeks ago, and we lost to the Packers because I couldn't. Too many people in the room, and Mark's girlfriend came over, and I was like, what are all these people doing in my house? i got to focus and get my body contorted in the right way so that we're going to win this game. Right? It's a horrible experience. It's a horrible experience. Now listen to me. You know what? If, you, if the Falcons win, when the Falcons win this evening, watching the replay tomorrow. Because you don't have to worry about when Tom Brady throws a touchdown. And you don't have to worry about when somebody on the Falcons makes a fumble. Because you know what? You win the game in the end. The worst experience is watching it live. The funnest experience is watching a replay. I love Super Bowl week because I get to watch all these games that the Cowboys have won. We're losing to the Buffalo Bills at halftime. It's okay. We're going to win that game. I'm not worried. We're going to win that game. 
The final thing that the Spirit-filled life is, is it is triumphant. It is triumphant. It is not simply a Hail Mary at the end of the game to squeak out a victory. It is a triumphant victory march by our once and future king. The Spirit-filled life is a life of triumph. We do not simply drag through life and then at the very end we score and win. Yay! It's a thousand to nothing before the first quarter is over. It's, it's done. It's finished. He has already won this game, this battle, this war. He has paid in full. There was never a moment of doubt. God never was worried. What are we going to do now? What's Jesus going to do? The only person that thought they had won was the devil. That moment when Jesus died on the cross, he raised his eyes to heaven and said, it is finished. And he was dead. And the devil and his minions in hell began to rejoice. And one of them said, hey, uh, Satan, I think somebody's at the door. And it was Jesus. There to take the keys to hell and death. He was there. He claimed it. There was no moment where Jesus was losing. There was no moment. He has won this victory. He is triumphant. And we can have that too. We don't have to live in varying levels of agony and defeat. I want you to get a hold of it. Look, if you will, again at Romans chapter 37. Sorry, chapter 8, verse 37. Romans 8 and 37. Romans 8 and 37. Paul says, yet in all these things, in what? He has just listed them, tribulation, distress, persecution, peril, famine. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are not simply overcoming the world. We have triumphed over the world, not because of anything we've done, but because God in us. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. The Spirit-filled life is a triumphant life. It is a triumphant victory march through life. Now I'm going to close with this very quickly. I have shared my testimony many times, and I will not bore you with all the details. But in my late teens and early 20s, my life completely went off the rails. Drugs and alcohol, my life was a mess. It was a disaster. Courtney and I got married. Then we had a baby coming. I tried to get my life back on track. I quit doing drugs and I quit drinking. But it was just like that car. Every day I said to myself, I'm not going to get high today. I'm not going to get high today. I'm not going to drink today. And I was just pushing that boulder through life. I'm going to do everything I can in my power. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I occasionally went to church. But something was missing from my life. Almost two years later, 
this life that I had carved out for myself of forced sobriety. But it was miserable. I had no relationship with God, and I was just pushing that rock one step at a time. And sometimes I got it going, and sometimes it rolled back over me. But that was the best I could do, and I thought that was what my whole life was going to be. I went to a service that, ironically, my dad was speaking at. My dad preached at the end of his sermon at a moment where you could come to the front and pray. I didn't even go to the front. I was sitting on the back row of this huge auditorium. We were standing and singing, and I was just standing there. Courtney didn't come. None of my friends. I was there completely by myself. I was just standing on the back row of this auditorium. And when I tell you that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't know how to exactly quantify that moment in my life because it blew my circuits out. The presence of the Holy Spirit descended on me, and it was like nothing I had ever experienced before or since. power of God came in my life and it was power to overcome it was power for life it was power to be triumphant it was victory I felt the call to the ministry I felt like God was speaking to me about where he wanted me to go and what he wanted me to be about and it was no longer me worried about whether or not I was going to be able to continue to push that car, that boulder, that thing. I didn't, I realized in that moment, I no longer have to do this on my own. And in that moment, I was just filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And my life and history have never been the same. That's what I want for you. You don't have to turn there. It'll come up on the screen. 2 Corinthians Chapter 2 and verse 14. One of my favorite verses. Now, thanks be to God, who always, triumph always, always leads us in triumph through Christ. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Always leads us in triumph. He wins every game. He's undefeated. He's never lost. It's never even close. He's our once and future king. He is our victorious savior. He always leads us. You understand, that's great news. We're not at the head of the parade. We're not the reason for the victory. We're just following our redeemer Messiah who has already won the battle. He leads us in triumph. He always leads us in triumph. I want you to experience that triumph this morning. Let's pray. They're going to simple down. The musicians are going to return to the stage. And I'm going to make this just as simple as possible. I know you got a lot of stuff you want to do later on. I know you want to go watch a game. I know you may have to go buy some food. You may have to get your house ready but we're not going to rush this one bit. We're not going to rush this one moment. Now listen to me on this. 
He always leads us in triumph. He always leads you in triumph. I want to ask you, I want to challenge you this morning. Is your life and your faith triumphant? Do you have power? Are you overcoming the world? Because he told us, I have already overcome the world. Jesus himself told us that. Where is your life? Where is your ministry? Do you have power? Do you feel defeated and broken and beat up every day? Or are you walking in triumph? He always leads us in triumph. If you want that, if you want that power, if you want the ability to overcome, if you want to walk in the triumph, follow him in the victory parade. I am begging you, when I say amen to this prayer, come to the front and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. There's no magic formula. There's no specific words. You simply come here and say, God, I must be filled with your Holy Spirit. I cannot do life anymore on my own. I cannot work hard enough. I cannot do this. We always walk in triumph. We always walk in triumph behind him who has already won the victory. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? Jesus Himself told us that. How much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? You want power? You want to overcome? You want to be triumphant? All you have to do is ask. 